everyone, and welcome back to the Jack and Ian show. Um, we have a super exciting episode today um, for you as we're joined by a very special guest, and that is Golden State Warriors announcer Bob Fitzgerald. Um, Bob began working with the Warriors in 1993 um, as a play-by-play broadcaster, and he has been working with CanVR Radio um, in San Francisco as well. Um, he then spent 26 years broadcasting um, for the Olympic Games um, in water polo, basketball, and swimming. And not to mention, he was also awarded the Emmy for Best On-Camera Play-By-Play Sports um, for Northern California in 2007 and 2014. And uh, lastly, um, and, more, and, and most importantly, he is a fellow graduate of Sarah High School in San Mateo, California. So, Bob, we're so glad to have you here today with us. And uh, welcome. Yeah, no, I'm glad to do it, for sure. Um, so so just, just getting into it, um, I, I do want to um, ask you, so um, firstly, you, you've accomplished so much in, in your career um, in sports broadcasting. And so I, I would just like it, um, I, I would love for you to just tell us what it's been like um, for you and just talk to us about your journey as a broadcaster. Well, I mean, my dad worked as an electrician at Comiskey Park in Chicago, um, which is where the White Sox played. And so to go to the ballpark with my dad and see baseball players, and I played Little League and, you know, played competitive baseball like everybody else. But then there were two old guys that were kind of hanging on the field, Harry Carey and Jimmy Pearsall. And it was like, well, they're the broadcasters. And as a very young kid, it was like, well, what do the broadcasters do? Well, they, they watch the game and they talk about the game. And then it was like, wait, that's a job? Like, that, that can be a career type of thing? So... Uh, as a very young guy, I was interested in the broadcasters, both radio and television, for baseball, basketball, football, um, and that really sparked an interest. It's, it's really all I wanted to do. So moving on to Notre Dame, um, got to do football and basketball on the radio for the student station, WBFI, and that led to CBA basketball, which is the NBA's minor league, and got my master's at Ohio State at the same time. And Worked for WBNS in Columbus, Ohio, briefly, uh, you know, interning there and Channel 2 here in San Francisco. And the CBA kind of led to my first job in pro sports, which was with a company called Bay Area Hockey 91, which became the San Jose Sharks. And I was one of the earliest employees there. And we named the team and picked the uniform colors. And I did the pre and post game show on television and started a talk show on KBR. And uh, did KBR for 28 years and then got hired by the Warriors and you know this is 29 seasons with them and I've been fortunate to do 20 years of the NFL and 20 years of arena football and five Olympics and uh, it's just been it's been a great journey and um, you know to get to do the Olympics get to do the playoffs nationally for TNT and do all the Warrior games I mean it really is it's a fun job it's been it's hard to think about 30 years of doing this for a living but um, I still get a kick out of it. We had a game last night. We got a game tomorrow. Yeah. And so we're right in the middle of the season. No, no, that's great. That's great. And, and I, I definitely know that many of my friends back home in the Bay area um, are, are huge fans of yours and the Warriors, obviously. So, so no, um, thank you. Um, and now I, I do want to shift the conversation over to basketball. Um, and I, I just want to ask you, since you've begun broadcasting, how have you seen the game of basketball change? Um, and are, are there certain aspects of the game that you would like to see more of? Well, the, the game has changed because the three-point line has really changed the game dramatically. The three-point line came into the NBA in 1979, and it was a rarity at that time. Early on in the NBA, 33% would be the best three-point shooter in the NBA. 
Now, if you shoot 33%, you shouldn't shoot any of them because there's over 100 guys that make over 40%. So that has changed pace and space. And so teams want to get up and down a little bit more, but the spacing on the court and then where a Steph Curry or Damian Lillard is able to shoot the ball, you never had to guard guys out to the hash mark, you know, or near the logos at midcourt, but, you know, that's where we are now in the NBA. So the three-point shot is the biggest one. And then what that does is it allows someone like Steph Curry at 6'3", or Luka Doncic at 6'7", or LeBron James at 6'8", to, to dominate the game. It's no longer the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Akeem Olajuwon, you have to have a dominant center. It's good that you do. You know, Nikola Jokic is a magnificent player, but wings can really affect the game, and Michael Jordan being the best example of that. But this is a skill game now and, and a shooting game and not as much brawn and bulk and, you know, the bad boy Pistons and the Pat Riley Knicks. Um, those teams would get run off the court right now. So that's been, the, you know, in, in 29 seasons, that's been kind of the biggest change I've seen. And then internationally, you have 100 foreign-born players out of 450 in the NBA. So it is truly, other than soccer, the most global game. And what happened with the Dream Team in 1992 is that your Tony Parkers and Dirk Nowitzkis and Mato Ginobili's, you know, these people grew up watching those Olympic games. And so now we have such a flood of international players from people that really grew up watching NBA games, which kind of get distributed around the world and they dream to play in the NBA and, and that makes the league even stronger. Yeah. Now you obviously um, have been dealing with one NBA team in particular, that being the Golden State Warriors um, for years now. And because of that, you've gotten to have some great moments. I mean, especially, you know, the last decade or so, it's felt like the Warriors have been an extremely special team. Uh, what does it mean for you to be connected with so many just amazing moments, whether it be championships, you know, you had Clay, Clay Thompson score 37, you know, in the third quarter. Um, I mean, that was unbelievable. Uh, you know, you got to you got to be a part of that. I mean, what what's that like? Well, I mean, the, the Warriors missed the playoffs 13 of the first 14 years that I worked for the team. So, you know, there definitely were some very lean years. Uh, and then they had the, the We Believe season, which was the first eight seed to ever upset a number one seed when the Warriors beat the Dallas Mavericks. And so that was the one playoff year. But, you know, the seven straight playoff years and five trips to the finals and three championships that's that's NBA history. You know, th this is a team that went 73 and nine. That's the most wins ever. Clay Thompson's 14 threes against Chicago, most threes ever in a game. Clay Thompson, 37 points in a quarter, most points ever in a quarter. Watching Steph Curry, who's the greatest shooter ever in the history of basketball and calling his whole career, you know, that that's almost indescribable. But for a team that was really at the bottom to win a championship, and then back it up with another championship and another championship, and, you know, and be emceeing parades and seeing 1.5 million people out there while you're speaking to them when the Warriors win the title. I mean, those are the things as a, as a broadcaster, you check off and think, wow, you know, you didn't know if that would ever happen. And some guys are like, hey, just give me one title. Uh, to have three is really remarkable. Five trips to the finals, even more so. And the Warriors for six years had the greatest run in NBA history, won more games in those six years than any team ever, not the Russell Celtics, the Jordan Bulls, the Magic Lakers, it was the Warriors. And so, you know, to be a part of that and be the soundtrack of that, it really is special. Yeah, no, I mean, you mentioned, I mean, three championships. I'll give an arm for the Grizzlies to win one. <laughs> I mean, 
I mean, that that's so absurdly special, kind of like you said. That's got to make it sweeter, you know, to have those years where it's it's tough. You know, you're you're getting high draft picks, you know, but you're not able to really build anything from that, uh, you know, and then to finally kind of have some breakthroughs, uh, you know, like you said, in the last eight or so years. Um, now, another question kind of about that um, is currently with this Warriors roster, it, it's interesting when you look at the personnel, you know. They got young guys like Wiseman, Kaminga, uh, Moody. Um, you, you got a lot of guys that are really youthful, but you also got some guys that obviously have a lot of finals experience, have been in the league, um, guys like Curry, Igudala. Um, what do you think uh, really the future, both this season and really moving forward, is for this team? Do you think you move a lot of those young pieces? Do you think you keep them, make them develop? What, what are you thinking about that? No, I mean, I, I think they, they have a style right now where really – um, they're only playing one young player, and that's Jordan Poole. Um, so Steph Curry, Jordan Poole, Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green, Kevon Looney, and then Andre Iguodala, Nemanja Bialica, Otto Porter Jr., Damian Lee. So, you know, Jordan's the one young guy that's playing. Waiting right. in the wings is the return of Clay Thompson, and then James Wiseman, Jonathan Kaminga, and Moses Moody. So it is the best of both worlds. They have the best record in the NBA. They are the best offensive team in the league. They're right now, they're rated the best defensive team in the league. Um, that may or may not last. It's a very long season, but you're going to get the return of Clay Thompson and the return of Wiseman. And then, you know, it's a pleasant problem to have because you have so many quality players, but they have a style and a fit that works for the Warriors that very few teams can replicate. So um, I think that, you know, being a playoff contender for sure, and then being a team that, is going to be there when it matters in the postseason. I think this is a very dangerous team right now. Yeah, for sure. And um, I, I, I actually did want to um, expand on that topic with, you know, with, with keeping in mind that Clay Thompson's going to return, um, Wiseman's going to return as well. So I'm curious, um, what do you think, um, or sorry, how do you think the Warriors can play differently with Clay Thompson back in there, with Wiseman back in there, and and what specifically do each of them add to the team when they come back? Well, I don't think they'll play that much differently when Clay comes back because that will go back to Steph and Clay, Wiggins, Draymond, and then maybe Wiseman or Looney at the center spot. But it's still going to be the shooting and spacing of the best shooting backcourt in the history of basketball with Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. Now it's going to be uh, Clay hasn't played in two years, so you're going to have to take time to assimilate him. He's not going to play 35 minutes right off the bat, so it gradually will do that. But structurally, what will change is that Jordan Poole will be the reserve off the bench running that second unit more like a Jordan Clarkson does in Utah. And so you have Jordan Poole and Iguodala as the ball handlers for the second unit. Whether Wiseman or Looney starts will be interesting because you could play Wiseman with all these veterans and probably accelerate his growth and then play Kavon when it really mattered because of his experience and his defensive superiority. So it's just two other pieces, same style, same fit, but the talent level ratchets up even more because Clay is so amazing. And I think Wiseman's potential is limitless. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, with, with Clay Thompson, I mean, I feel like even if he, he hadn't played in two years, but I mean, if he just stands in a corner on <laughs> offense, like, I mean, he, Steph Curry is the best shooter ever, but he's, he's also one of them, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, if you just put him in a corner on offense and say, I mean, Steph Curry can drive. I mean, he's a quick dude drive down kick it to the corner get a pretty open three from clay i mean that's probably around 20 points a game just right there you know 
Well, Clay's already ramping up, you know, some of the three-on-three -three and scrimmaging and working out. And, you know, you watch him at practice. If I told you pick out the guy who hasn't played in two years, you would not pick out Clay. He looks, he looks very good right now, and he's been incredibly diligent in his rehab. So uh, I think he's going to be back and be really good, and it's going to be amazing to see him fit back in with the Warriors. So I understand that it'll be a slow ramp up in terms of minutes and things like that, but I'm with you as far as it's, it's one of the prettiest jumpers ever in the history of the game. And he can still shoot. He's incredibly competitive and he's still relatively young. You know, we see Chris Paul making the finals at 37, you know, Clay at 31 and Draymond at 31 and, and Steph Curry at 33. They, they have multiple more years to, to be a quality trio. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, kind of shifting gears a little bit uh, here away from the actual basketball side um, of the job. So you get to you get to travel a lot, you know, um, you know, city to city during the season. So it, do you enjoy that um, particular aspect of the job being able to, you know, just being able to travel all over across the United States and then also Toronto? Um, you know, enjoy is a weird word because. You know, we travel in private plane and you're staying in wonderful hotels and we have amazing team dinners. Um, so you're around, a, you know, a very special group of people. So that part is great. Um, but just the relentless 50, 60,000 air miles. And uh, then with some of the other things I do, it gets to be almost 100,000 air miles this year going over to Tokyo to do the Olympics for NBC that um, I don't think the human body was meant to be in a metal tube 35,000 feet above the earth for hours and hours on end. So uh, that part of travel, I do not enjoy at all. Um, and I live in the Bay Area, which is, you know, arguably one of the greatest places to live in the entire world. So uh, I prefer being home. That's, that's for sure. But travel is part of the job. It's, it's what we do. Um, you make the, the best of it because we go to some amazing cities. The camaraderie and the chemistry with the Warrior Traveling Group, I do look forward to. But uh, getting on planes and packing and hotels and being away from home and family and friends. Um, that's just, it's part of what we do, but it's not the greatest part. That's for sure. Yeah. At the beginning of the season um, is when you get the, when that schedule comes out, is there any city you kind of circle like, okay, we get to go here, meaning I get to go to, we go to this restaurant or whatever. Is there any particular place, uh, particular, I guess, with the NBA uh, where you're like, okay, we get to, you know, that we travel here next week. I'm super excited about that. Well, I was born in Chicago. So for me, um, and then went to school at Notre Dame. So, you know, for me, every time we go to Chicago, it's fantastic. It's, it's one of the greatest cities in the world. Always look forward to that. Same thing with Boston, same thing with New York. Um, when we go to Florida, I usually play Orlando and Miami, you know, together. So that's, you know, that's a golf trip a little bit. Um, get a big kick out of Dallas. Uh, L.A., we go a lot because you're playing the Lakers and the Clippers and um, got a lot of friends in L.A. I have college roommates kind of spread around the country. So, you know, I'll make most of those cities special. But, you know, Chicago, Boston, New York, L.A., you know, Florida, Washington, D.C., if you get out of the mall and see some of the monuments, you know, there's there's an amazing World War II museum in New Orleans. You know, so you, you kind of you make the most of it. But Chicago, clearly, I, I see when they're playing the Bulls and. You know, do we have an extra day there? And uh, how long are we going to be in the, you know, in Chicago? That's, that's first and foremost for me. Um, so, yeah, so for Bob, sure. um, 
still on the topic of traveling, um, I, I did want to ask you um, about the 2020 NBA bubble playoffs. And um, I, I'm, I'm just curious. So those were held in Florida. And so um, it, it would be great if you could tell us just a little bit about your experience broadcasting for that um, short time and, and whether or not you actually um, traveled there or if you um, broadcasted remotely. Um, but yeah. No, we, we went to the bubble. I mean, TNT had everybody go to the bubble, but you know, that level of the pandemic, you were getting tested every single day. Um, the vaccines had not been developed yet. Mm -hmm. And so what they did is they really kind of sealed off the players were tested and the referees were tested, the broadcasters were tested and they're, you were doing it in an empty arena um, for national TV, for TNT in my case. And so it was kind of hotel and calling games. Now, you know, I will say we had access to a golf course at the <laughs> Disney Resort, which was closed, but, you know, Disney has multiple hotels on that property in Florida. So we were able to get outside and play golf. And so that was good. Um, but it was really all basketball all the time. So you were calling playoff games, playing a little golf, preparing for more playoff games, having your Zoom production meetings to kind of set up the different matchups. But yeah, that was, I think I was in the bubble for 22 days in, in Florida and then in Tokyo, similar type of thing for the Olympics. We flew there and I think that was 28 days for the Olympic games for men's and women's basketball for me. So um, I was familiar with both of those kind of situations, a lot of testing and a lot of being smart, never got COVID and uh, you know just kind of doing what we do professionally as far as calling games. But without that crowd noise, and you know the the you know audience attendance for either the Olympics or those playoffs, it, it's very different. I'm proud to have been a part of that. I'm proud that there were no positive test cases at all in the NBA. They did prove mm -hmm. that you could do a whole playoff system if you're kind of medically on top of everything, and the league certainly was. So you know I'm glad that was part of history for that. But I'd rather not have a, a playoffs or Olympics. You know. Uh, you know, do that again. Let's let's sure. kind of move forward and get back to more traditional sports. Yeah, definitely. Right. Yeah, and you mentioned there, you know, uh, that bubble having to do all that preparation uh, for games. What what's that look like? I mean, just kind of day to day for you. Well, I mean, the NBA obviously you're, you're covering every team all the time and getting ready for different matchups. And you know, having nearly thirty years in the league. I'm very familiar with many players that have played for multiple years. The playoffs are all matchups. And so if I had, you know, I had the Houston Rockets, Oklahoma City Thunder game at the time, and that was, okay, Chris Paul versus James Harden and the Rockets. And then, okay, Lou Dort is this good defender. He has been dealing with Harden defensively. You know, at the time, Dennis Schroeder was this elite off-the-bench score for OKC. When were they going to utilize him? What would Houston's counterattack be? Also, the way that Houston and OKC shot threes, there was potential for the most threes attempted ever in a playoff game. So you're kind of looking at the history there. But you know that then I had the I had the Milwaukee Bucks Orlando game that was that was postponed after Jacob Blake's shooting, and so we were there while the two teams took the floor, and then they elected not to play, and then there was a question whether the playoffs would go on, and so. You know, there was a lot going on in the, in the bubble, but for broadcasting, you're looking at the different matchups, the individual matchups, talking to coaches, you know, looking at all the stats, looking at the prior history, and then preparing to kind of tell the story of that playoff game and what the game meant and then what it meant in the series. Because 
I had Denver Utah games and a few of the other series all at the same time. Yeah. Um, you also mentioned, uh, you know, being able to broadcast with the Olympic games and being able to do that. How was that calling like water polo compared to calling basketball? Is that, e is that easy to kind of transition to, or is that just so different? No, it's not easy to transition. There, there are no water polo broadcasters. So, you know, when NBC calls and says, we think you'd be really good at this, um, you have to learn a whole new sport. You know, I started with, you know, Pulu is an East Indies word for ball. You know, the, the beginning of water polo, you know, it's one of the oldest Olympic sports ever. And it started really with guys on barrels floating around in a pool, swinging a mallet, just like polo, except it was in water. Then they started swimming, but the goalies could stand on the either end of the pool and jump on the guys or gals when they were trying to score a goal. Then they had a bunch of broken necks from that type of place. So the goalies had to be in the water. So the whole history of the sport, the history of the strategy, then all the Olympic history, Hungary is the best water polo team. Um, and then I was incredibly lucky in Beijing because Team USA women and Team USA men went all the way to the gold medal game for both. And so that story became kind of a great narrative of that Olympics and getting to do that and have Bob Costas throw it to you for the gold medal games is really a big deal. And so you've got to learn your sport and you've got to, you know, broadcasting, I kind of got down, but um, I was happy to have Wolf Wigo, who's a, an Olympian and a Stanford, you know, water polo player. And the people at Stanford helped me as I went to the NCAA championships and watched that and tried to understand the rules and the strategy. But no, it is like learning a foreign language. And, and then you have to show it off at the absolute uh, highest level with the biggest audience. So for me, that was a tremendous challenge. And London was basketball, Tokyo was basketball. We'll see about Paris, but uh, basketball is more of my wheelhouse. But you, you right. know, for me, water polo, you've got 12 men's teams and 12 women's teams. And you have to know all the teams, all the pronunciations, the whole, the country's history. Uh, it's, it really is a huge, huge endeavor and a big challenge. And so uh, to pull it off and and, you know, get selected to do that really is, is something that, you know, I'll never really forget. Right. Uh, do you think, uh, just sticking with the Olympics, uh, you think you, what, what Olympic sport would you think you would have the most fun with uh, should you have to compete in it? Like, is there one that you kind of are able to watch when you're down there and go, oh, that'd be like really fun to be able to do that, you know, being a big golf pong player or something. Olympic golf, golf. come on. Yeah, no, I mean <laughs> golf, ping pong, that would that would be great. I don't I don't think uh, I don't think at my age now any feats of strength or anything like that. That wouldn't be in my wheelhouse. So yeah, give me golf or ping pong. That that would be good. Although I do like when they do the white water rafting and some of these other ones that are a little oh, yeah. more bizarre. That that'd be kind of fun to participate in those. And in winter, I wonder, I'd probably be scared to death, but if you could do the luge one more one time, you know, or the bobsled and be jamming down those tracks at a hundred miles an hour. I, I think if you could just put your fear aside, that, that would be one hell of a rush for a little while. Oh yeah. If you could tell me like, you're not going to get hurt doing this. Like if you could guarantee it at the top, I would like, that'd be fun. I cannot yeah. imagine like this, how the acceleration you see when they start going down, that is absurd. Yeah. That, that's that'd, a, be, that'd be a fun one. Well, the camera work now shows and gives you an idea of that speed, but you know, with four people in the bobsled, if I could just run and be the second guy and hop in and 
let somebody steer it down there and just go for one ride. I don't think that'd be anything you'd ever forget. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, I I do want to add in there my 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 favorite of uh, well one of my favorite sports movies, uh, Cool Runnings, Bob Sledding from oh, Jamaica. Yeah. So that, <laughs> yeah. that was definitely um, that's a that that's a very scary sport, at least in my opinion. I I can't imagine going down that fast. But um, anyways, Bob, we we did want to um ask you a few questions that our viewers sent in to us, and um, uh, what one of our viewers, Marco, he's actually from Switzerland, um. He, he was wondering what team or teams do you think um, can pose as the biggest threat to the Warriors this season and why? Well, I, you know, I'll go by conference. I think if you look at the Western Conference, Utah and Phoenix are elite teams. Uh, Utah has tremendous continuity. Uh, they've got Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell, so a great backcourt. They've got Bogdanovich, who's a great three-point shooter. Jordan Clarkson off the bench. And then Gobert to anchor everything, plus Royce O'Neal is a tremendous wing defender that they put on the other team's elite scorers. So I really, I like the Utah Jazz. I respect what they've done in the regular season. Postseason has been a little bit odd, but Mitchell being hurt last year definitely hampered them. Then you look at Phoenix, already went to the finals, has Chris Paul, has Devin Booker, has Mikel Bridges, you know, and DeAndre Ayton. Um, I really like the Phoenix Suns. So, you know, Phoenix and Utah. Now, the Lakers, if they ever get it together, you're playing Anthony Davis and LeBron James and, you know, Russell Westbrook. I mean, that, that's such a veteran team. They probably have to get through the regular season, but in a seven game series, if they're all healthy, they'll be dangerous. Now, no Kawhi Leonard right now for the Clippers and no Jamal Murray for Denver that, that hurts them, but those teams are also very good. And Dallas, I don't think you'd want to see Luka Doncic in a seven game series. So the matchups in the West are going to be amazing, but Utah and Phoenix to me are the elite ones. For sure, Eastern, for sure. Yeah, Eastern yeah, Conference, I, I, you know, Milwaukee would be, you know, they're the defending champs. They, you know, with Giannis, you know, with Brooke Lopez, the way Drew Holiday can guard people, um, they're so deep. They bring guys like Bobby Portis and Chris Middleton's the, you know, if he's not the best mid-range shooter other than Kevin Durant, you know, he's that good. Brooklyn with Durant and Harden, if they sort out the Kyrie Irving situation. And Philadelphia is always a sleeping giant too. So, you know, the, those are the teams, but the, the difference is the Warriors are in the mix now. That's that's different, is that last year, hey, making the playoffs or trying to play in tournament, that was fine. But you get Clay back and Wiseman back and the way the Warriors are playing, they're they're in the conversation. And they will be, I think, for the next couple of years. Yeah, definitely. And um, I, I did want to just ask you this question um, based off of the Warriors um, and, and their, their past two seasons. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of... Um, fans from from the outside have been kind of seeing the the win-loss column and over the last two years it hasn't been the standard at it hasn't been the standard that it was um when they were going to the finals and making it to the playoffs all those years but I think it was it was super um helpful for the team to actually develop the those those younger players like your Jordan Pools you know um could you just talk a little bit about that and talk about the benefits of playing such a young team yeah, I mean, the, the thing about sports is the best ability is availability. You know, basketball is only five guys on the court. So when you have a significant injury, your, your team is not going to be as good. I mean, I don't, I don't care what happens. So, you know, for the Warriors, Kevin Durant left for Brooklyn for free agency, which was great. You know, for KD, I love KD. He is three years with the Warriors. He's the best free agent signing ever. Uh, two titles and three trips to the finals. So Kevin left for free agency. And then Clay Thompson was injured with the ACL and Steph Curry broke his hand five games in. 
So there goes your season. And they won 15 games and the pandemic shortened it or whatever. But last year still, they were the eighth seed and had a very good year, but you still did it without play. And so, you know, the, the idea of younger players getting to play, that's good. It's the only way you grow and you get better. So those minutes for Wiseman before his meniscus injury and Jordan Poole, those minutes are definitely paying dividends, but also Juan Toscano-Anderson and Damian Lee got to play extensively, you know, and that those are big parts of what they're doing. Kevon Looney got a chance to get healthy. Um, you know, he's only 25, but he'd been banged up with various injuries. And so there's nothing like playing in the NBA to figure out what it takes to become good in the NBA. And so bad teams throw their young guys out there and they take their lumps. Uh, the good teams get to kind of, you know, add the younger players without as much pressure. But I love where the Warriors are because of the Hall of Famers they have currently on the roster and where the young guys will be. But to win now, it's not going to be the young guys that probably carry you over the top. You know, I think Phoenix is a great example. Jay Crowder, you know, Chris Paul, those guys kind of led the way. But DeAndre Ayton has been growing up in front of our eyes, and Devin Booker's already a star. So I, I think when you have a mix, you, you veterans win in this league, and then young guys grow and jump on the stage, you know, after a certain period of time. Sure. I do have a question real quick off that. So you talk about all those teams with veterans and young players in development. Do you think it's helpful for a young team to have those older players on it? Like we saw with Atlanta last year. They got yeah. John Collins and Trey Young who are younger, but they also got like they had Lou Will and Gallinari and a yeah. bunch of other guys that have been the league and been to the playoffs. Uh, do you think that's do you think that is extraordinarily helpful to development? You know, when uh, those teams that got some young pieces are able to put some guys with experience on them? I think it's mandatory, to, to be honest, that, you know, we had Terry Cummings back in the day, and he was 38 years old, and just talking to him, he said, look, young guys don't teach or lead other young guys. They, they don't know. I mean, the young guys are, if you think about it, for Jonathan Kaminga, he's 19 years old, he's from the Congo, played one year in the G League, he's here in the Bay Area, he's a professional player, Moses Moody, one year in college, he's here. You're worried about getting an apartment, paying your bills, getting a car, figuring out the new city you're living in. I mean, how many people could do that at 19 years of age and then have guys like LeBron James coming down and trying to dunk on your head? So part of growing up is becoming a young man or the WNBA young woman where you're, you're learning how to be a professional athlete and then mastering your craft. So I think people don't realize the real world of being young and famous with pressure and all this money coming your way and just real life things that you have to deal with. Do any of these guys, have they ever lived by themselves? Have they ever cooked a meal? Have they ever paid bills? Have they ever had to do laundry? I mean, these are, these are all things they have to do in addition to, oh, by the way, you know, go play against all these elite athletes in the NBA. So I think young guys' heads are spinning all around, you know, early in their career. And it's the older players that teach them the travel, the sleep, the diet, the workouts, the things you need to do to really bring out, you know, the best. And that's why a Clay Thompson or a Steph Curry were so good and have been so good as younger players. Their dads played in the NBA. They already had someone telling them and guiding them on, on what to expect and how to handle things. 
Yeah, no, definitely. And um, on that topic of, you know, veterans, um, people like Steph Curry, you know, um, one, one of our viewers sent in a question and um, it was just about how has it been watching um, the development of Steph Curry over his career, but, but also for you, how, how has it been watching him develop? Well, I mean, Steph was young and talented and precocious and skinny when the Warriors got him. And then he had ankle issues. And so once he got through the ankle issues, then you saw the physical maturity, the weight work he does. His body looks dramatically different in year 13 than it ever did in year one. Then he figured out the angles and speed of the sport. And then he's put up hundreds of thousands of shots to perfect this incredible shooting stroke and then challenged himself to shoot further and further out to pull up for three before defenses even get to him. So, you know, and then the ball handling and then the leadership and then the toughness. So it's been a great arc, but I would tell people go back and, and look at Steph Curry's rookie year, his first couple of years, his face, his body, he doesn't even resemble the same player and grown man that he's become. And for me, you know, to see him as a, a single guy who got married and now see him as a dad and see him as a philanthropic leader and just such a, a great person on on and off the court and everything he's done in the Bay Area and the community really worldwide. It's been a great journey. I mean, the Steph Curry book or Steph Curry movie, the final chapters aren't done yet, but man, he's a, he's accomplished a lot in 13 years. Sure. Yeah, no, he, he is... I don't even know. I, I, surely you did not expect this whenever he was drafted. There's no way. Like No, I think anyone that says, you know, he's going to be the greatest shooter ever, they're all lying. You know, I, I think the idea was, would Steph be a good player? Yeah, I mean, he was the seventh pick overall. He thought he'd be a good player. You know, thought, wow, you know, he, he has a really quick release. You saw some things at Davidson in college where you said, you know, this guy has the potential to be something. But no, they, you know, one of the, you know, the all-time, he's already on the top 75 list. You know, he's going to pass Ray Allen this year for most threes ever. He's already won multiple scoring titles. He's won two MVPs. He's the only unanimous MVP um, to, to have predicted all that. No, anybody that says they saw all of that coming, it's it just like saying I knew Tom Brady would be the greatest quarterback ever when he was drafted in the sixth round. You know, that, right. uh, you know, things like that happen, and it's a credit to those guys that they put their, you know, their names and faces in the history book. For sure. Um, so, yeah. so now moving on, um, we, we did want to get to this last segment of the show and um, we're going to throw a few rapid fire questions at you. So, so, so stay yes. uh, quick on your feet for these ones. Um, yeah. Yes. We're going to start out yeah. with uh, what is your favorite movie? Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank okay, Redemption. There you go. That's a good one. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You got a favorite candy. Uh, Snickers. Snickers there, Snickers, there you go. Snickers are good. For um, sure. Okay, how about a go-to gas station snack? Uh, Gatorade or Pepsi, one or the other. Yeah. Okay, uh, you got a favorite musical artist? Uh, Bruce Springsteen or U2? That'd be a top. Okay, there you go. Nice, nice. Um, okay, how about who, who is your favorite childhood team growing up? Uh, Chicago White Sox, you know, Chicago Bears, Chicago Blackhawks, Notre Dame football, um, the Chicago Bulls until we moved to California in 1975 and the, the Bulls lost in the Western finals to the 
Golden State Warriors, which is when I wanted to be the Warriors announcer and have a talk show on KMBR in San Francisco on my ninth birthday. That was what I had said I wanted my wishes to be. And my parents thought I was nuts, but uh, it seems to have worked out okay. Definitely. Yeah, yeah it seems to have worked out about right. Um, what is, who is the greatest NBA player of all time? This might be a little more than a short answer question, but uh, I, if you had to name one. You don't, you don't need a long answer. The greatest NBA player of all time is Michael Jordan. That's the – it's not – I wouldn't say it's not close because LeBron's longevity is making it a conversation. But Michael Jordan was the MVP of the league, averaged 38 a game, and won defensive player of the year in the same season. So, you know, defense is half the game. And so I think people forget that Jordan, you know, had 200 steals and 100 blocks in consecutive years – no guard does that. Oh, by the way, he was, you know, the superior scorer ever with the highest scoring average. So, you know, my, Michael Jordan is the best basketball player of all time. LeBron is there, getting there, but it, it is Michael Jordan, definitively. That is, that is not yeah. an argument or discussion. Um, for 30 years in the NBA, I've been around all the great players, talked to all great players. The league's only 75 years old. It, it, it is Michael Jordan. Yeah, for sure. Uh, one more question here. Uh, fate of the universe on the line, death ray pointed at the earth. Uh, who is taking the last shot for the Warriors this season? Iguodala or Steph Curry? Uh, Steph Curry. There Steph you Curry. go. Now, now, Andre would make it under a pressure situation, but if I got Steph or Clay, the universe is in good hands. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> good to hear it. Um, anyways, uh, Bob, thank you so much for, for coming on to our show um, today. We really appreciate your time and we, we really appreciate you um, just, just coming on to our show, helping us um, grow our brand. Um, for, for the folks at home, that is going to be the end of the show. Um, but we do want to say thank you so much for the continuous support. Um, definitely tune in tomorrow night for the Warriors game. You know, you'll, you'll definitely hear Bob Fitzgerald calling that game um, and the rest of the ones. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for the continuous support. Um, and Jack and I will be back on Tuesday with another show. See you guys All later. All right, guys. I appreciate it. Take care. Take care. Thank you.